Welcome to the Growth League podcast, where we interview business owners who have experienced quantum leap growth in their business. In each episode, we're going to dive deep into our guests' firsthand experience about what it was like 90 days before and 90 days after that point when their business started experiencing massive growth. Welcome to the Growth League podcast, Amanda. Hello. Hi. My guest is Amanda Hamilton, and if you don't mind, Amanda, I'm going to uh, I'm going to pump your tires a little bit by uh, by yeah. giving folks a a preview of who you are and who Amanda Hamilton Interior Design. None is. of it's so, true. None of it's true. None of it's true. That's right. You didn't write it. You didn't write it. You just signed off. Oh, I'm sorry. Amanda Hamilton, celebrated for her tenacious and vibrant persona. It's, it's true. Amanda Hamilton's bold and unconventional approach to design and business has made her one of the most sought-after interior designers in Western Canada. With over a decade of experience, she has earned a diverse and extensive portfolio, including custom residential homes, multi-family developments, restaurants, office, and retail design. The award-winning boutique studio of Amanda Hamilton Interior Design holds an intentionally diverse portfolio in both the residential and commercial markets across Western Canada. Projects range from custom homes, multifamily developments and renovations to hospitality, retail, health and wellness, and office design. And you're designing your own new office, I, oh I'd my imagine. God, yes. How do, you, how do you design your own, like when you're, when you're designing something for somebody else, you know, you've done a traditional discovery, you've come to learn what their likes and dislikes are, and you kind of have a template to work off of. But when you got stuff rattling around in your own head and yeah. it's never quite good, how do you, how do you do that? How's that coming? That, that's actually a really tough question. I do get asked that. I, I think it's that whole saying of like, you know, the shoemaker's son has no shoes. So like you'll go over to an architect's house and their house is never finished. And you know, as designers, we want beautiful spaces around us, but we also, we see so much and so I wouldn't say I have just like one style. And so the, the challenge, of course, when you're designing for yourself, is sometimes I've joked around, I'm like, I just wish another designer could design my space for me because trying to make a decision for a client, easy. I can right. immediately be like, I know exactly what that client wants and needs, but for your own space, it's nearly impossible. So, you know, how I did it is I, I honestly dug into some of the past travels I had done and I was really inspired by spaces that just made me feel good. So instead of designing our office to, you know, speak to our clients or speak to other designers, it was super personal. It was just, it's, it's a space that I feel like I will feel good in. And, you know, you get to a certain point in your career where you're like, I deserve to give myself something back. Right. Oh yeah. So I didn't take, I didn't take a corner office. I didn't take windows, but I was like, I'm going to take this space and make it feel like home for me. That's amazing. Yeah. And so hopefully my team loves it. They're super stoked. Everybody is like, we need to get into the studio. Right yeah. Now. There's something about going into a new office, right? It's almost like a rebirth. It's a, it's an opportunity to sort of reinvent who you are a little bit, right? I mean, it's the space is who we are and, and, you know, as that becomes home and becomes comfortable for your team, uh, team members, it, uh, I think there's some magic that happens. We're, we're sort of experiencing that, that same thing with our, with our space. So that's awesome. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm curious and, and our listeners are curious on the origin story of Amanda Hamilton interior design. I, I know that, you know, you started off in probably your apartment there. Um, tell us, bring us back. 
Yeah. So I, I guess I, I need to mention a little bit about, you know, being a kid. I, I call myself sort of an accidental entrepreneur, but when I reflect on um, my life as a, as a child, you know, there was a lot of you know, entrepreneurial pursuits that I had. I started a library inside you know, my, my grandparents' basement. Um, you know, of course I had the proverbial sort of lemonade stand where I didn't have any lemonade. So I sold water, super successful, as I'm sure you can imagine. You know, so there were those, there were those opportunities, but I really, I really was never set out to be an entrepreneur. It was actually, um, 2009 in the middle of the recession in Calgary. And, um, I was doing, I was moonlighting on the side, which, uh, I wasn't actually allowed to be doing. Um, and my boss sort of found out and said, you know, you have to choose. And I said, no, no, I'll stay with you guys. But then that only lasted for a couple months and I started getting approached on the side. I was designing like 5,000 square foot restaurants, like on the side while working a full-time job while also working at a restaurant three days a week. So I was, uh, I was hustling before hustling was, uh, was a buzzword. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's sort of how I got my start. I, I, middle of the recession, no savings, no business experience, launched my own company. And really happy to say that I didn't poach any clients from my previous employer. These were all these were all relationships I had to be built on the side, and it just sort of grew very organically from from there. That's awesome. Yeah. And you know what? I can going back to our how we started this off, asking about the the headphones. I can hear you perfectly. Um, but I think I could hear you just a little bit better if you had them on. And we're probably not going to do too much of the video stuff. So this is all for audio. Oh, you want to check this out? So, I mean, oh, look at that. I had to get these for another um, podcast I did, but there was no video. So it was like, it doesn't matter that they look stupid. I always They're feel like I'm on a, I, I'm in like, a, I'm on some call center team and I'm just hammering phone calls out all day. Okay. So. Can you hear me through here now? I don't even know. This is I like. can. In the bottom left corner of your Zoom, you can do, I think you probably know. Um, um, Built-in Logitech USB headset. That, that's it. Is. Perfect. Oh, now. Yeah. Uh, way, way better. Okay. I'm just going to, I guess I can just let this hang. Hey. Yep. Maybe I'll just pin this quickly to. It's quite the headset. Sometimes when you, oh yeah, I hear you. How now. about now? Perfect. Okay. Alrighty. We've done I it. I feel, I feel like, I feel like it's about to take off. Yeah, this is, <laughs> hold on to your seats, everybody. Hold on to your seats. I have no training as a pilot, but we're about to take right. off. If we do crash, you know, fix your, fix yourself before you fix someone else. Okay, say, we're good. Say your last prayers if you're a religious person. That's right. <laughs> The rest That's of right. us will just hold on tight. That's right. Yeah. So you started You started it in your home. I mean, you, 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 there was this transition point, right? It's when you, when you left, uh, you're, you're sort of nine to five. Uh, you went out on your own, scary, started small. What was, uh, tell me about client number one. Because it's always oh. client number one, right? That's a spicy topic. Ooh, or Ooh. two. No, Fine. no, no. It's actually good. And you're, and you're right. We totally, uh, started in like an eight by 10 bedroom in a house I was trying to renovate. Um, 
you know, and there was staff working out of there. I've worked from home many times. There's one time when there was five or six of us working out of a two bedroom condo. It, it's been chaos. So luckily now I'm like, yeah, 2000 square feet for an office. But, um, first client, um, so good. You know, he was really, I think, a big driver of starting a company. He was the one that really pushed me. Of course, he was an entrepreneur himself and owned several restaurants. And that's really where I got my start. I, I sort of, you know, came into the Calgary, you know, market as a designer, as like the restaurant designer. So right. I had worked in the restaurant industry for seven years. I understood them intimately. Um, I got the lingo. I was able to have conversations with clients that way. And that's really how I kind of had my big break. Um, um, and this client also ended up being a bit of a mentor for me. You know, he taught me a lot about business and life and I learned so many lessons from him, but unfortunately, probably after about working together for five years, it, it ended on a bit of a sour note. Um, one that I really was out of my control, but I also still believe that, um, you know, people come into your life for a season, a reason, right? And and so I'm still actually so grateful for that relationship. Um, of course, I wish it wouldn't have ended that way. But again, it was sort of out of my control. So this person will not be named. Sorry, listeners. Um, oh, and this person's great. Like, I mean, there was even circumstances that were out of his control. I think right. that, that just, you know, ultimately just dissolved the relationship. And, and I think that happens in our lifetime. It happens with family members. It happens with friends. And you just start to butt heads and things just don't work anymore. And I think, honestly, looking back, both of our lives are probably healthier not having each other in each right. other's lives, but hey, incredible we grow, mentor. We grow, we change, our businesses grow, they change. And uh, sounds like there's a lot of appreciation there. So that's oh, awesome. Oh, for sure, for sure. So it's the Growth League podcast. It's all about, it's all about um, reflecting back on, on, and it's never a point, but can you do your best to describe what was the tipping point for you when it went from a, maybe a hobby or a, or a side project or maybe a job to... This is a business that is is ready to scale. It is scaling. Um, bring me back to that moment. What was the tipping point, and how yeah. did you define scale? Was it was it employee count? Was it client count? Was it top line? Uh, yeah. yeah, I I think there's a few really important um, moments where there were some pretty impactful things that happened in the business um, where I can remember. So it was always it was always um, a passion of mine. Like it, it was never just like a side hustle. You know, once I made that leap, I was all in. It's never been a job. It's really a mission. Like I, I, I feel pretty blessed to wake up every morning. I know it sounds cliche, but to, to really love what I do. I don't think that everybody has that. And so, you know, I fell into all the same trappings that you hear about all the time with every other entrepreneur, you know, Cash flow was a major issue for us. I wasn't managing my my numbers properly. I didn't I didn't even know how to. It wasn't even something that I thought about. It just, you know, by luck, it's just like we just kept having revenue. I've never advertised for my company. We just we just have always had jobs coming in, and still to this day, I've never advertised. And um, but the problem was is we grew really fast. I think the the highest number of employees that I had probably at about five or six years in was probably about eight or nine people. And I just wasn't running the company properly. You know, I lost sight on needing to be actively involved every single day. 
and clients started to suffer, you know, our numbers started to suffer, my team started to suffer, and I ultimately made the decision to basically do massive layoffs and start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's, that was, that was the catalyst or that was the tipping point of me really understanding that like, I can't just rest on the facts that like, we've always had great jobs and we always have projects and the business is just going to come. Um, because, you know, I've been through what I call like three and a half recessions, you know, the pandemic being part of that. Being three of them. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, you cannot take your eye off of your your business. And so when I rebuilt from three people, I started getting more systems in place, more protocols. I was showing up, um, you know, more as a mentor and a leader versus a boss. So I really Mm -hmm. changed my mindset of, of, instead of a top down sort of management style, more bottom up. And I think that tipping point for me, I mean, of course there's a revenue marker. Like, you know, once you, once you get over like a million, you're like, whoa. And then also once you hit that sort of, I think it was that seven or eight year mark where you're like, oh, like we've really started to like resolve some of these issues. We understand how the business, I think people think that it's like a three to five year thing. Like if you made it to three years or five years, you're going to make it. Nope. Um, I honestly think that number is like more like seven or eight years where you start to be like, huh, this thing is like a machine and it's, you know, it's chugging along. And so, you know, I've been running this company now for 13 years before formally incorporated for 11. And so it's been a while. Not to say things are perfect, for sure. There's always stuff to work on. Hey, we're our worst critics, aren't we? Oh, yes. Um, talk about systems and processes. That's a, that's a big point. Um, can, you have, can you give one example of a system or process in the six months leading up or the nine months leading up to this, you know, quote unquote, tipping point um, that was a, was a you know, helpful catalyst to, to creating that change or that growth? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest things that we've um, done in our studio is really made it very clear to the rest of the team about what the scope of work is, how many hours are attributed to each task, what those tasks are, and providing, you know, whether you want to call them white papers or checklists or whatever it is, it's really like having very clear expectations. And so we really started integrating more technology. You know, as an example, we use a program called Team Gantt, which, you know, Gantt charts work really well for my industry, construction, um, interior design, anywhere where there's like a lot of project management and some major milestones that need to be met. And I'm sure in your industry, very similar, right? Um, everything's project-based. And so I think that technology really helped to keep the team accountable, but also provide clarity, right? Hearing over and over again, like I can't really get upset with my team about going over on the hours if they didn't have any idea what the hours were to begin with. Yeah. So I think that's been a really, really big one for us. And then um, very recent, well, not very recently, probably in the last two or three years, we've been really focused on what client onboarding looks like, you know, in terms of what that experience is, how quickly does a client get a phone phone call back, you know, how soon after do we, you know, schedule their first initial meeting and then their design discovery meeting. And now I would say launching into 2021, I'm really interested in um, employee onboarding. Mm. Right. So really just going and giving back to the team. So I think all of those things have had a hand in in our continued growth through recessions. Like right. we have continued to grow despite every year, year after year, we've grown. What about this idea of, of uh, especially during COVID of nesting? Is, is that applicable? And, and people are becoming more interested in or less interested in staring at the same four walls every day. Um, ha- has business kind of 
seen any uptick because of this idea that, hey, we got to be home. Let's make it a, a special place. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's been so interesting through COVID is no one would have had any idea what industries got completely thrashed and other mm -hmm. ones would have grown. I think, you know, somebody would have said, well, you're kind of a luxury service. Like, you know, things are going to be tough. No, we stayed steady. I mean, we definitely dipped. We're, we're down a little bit from last year, but nothing that I would be worried about that couldn't just be attributed to a normal mm -hmm. market flux, like flux, flexing and, yeah. and, um, but there is more people at home right now. So we are definitely getting more projects where people are in their home looking around, they're doing small renovation projects. Um, but the commercial market is still busy as well. You know, developers are still moving on things. You can get land for cheaper right now. There's more opportunities. I think, you know, we've been able to some extent, I'm like knock on wood, but you know, recession proof our business because we have a super diverse portfolio. We work in different markets. And so when one area is down, another one's up, vice versa, hmm. you know, and that allows us to stay quite steady. What's your idea, whether it's residential or commercial, um, what are some of the properties of the ideal client for you? You talked about client onboarding and, and it makes it so much easier when they are the right fit for you. Who's a perfect fit for Amanda Hamilton? I, I think we all go through this as business, you know, owners is like, we think we have this ideal client to start. And then we have some experiences, you know, initially I really wanted to service a luxury market. I, I wanted to be known for higher end luxury interior design, but as I've worked through it, you know, we kind of have a motto now that, you know, we're the interior design studio that does cool projects with stylish people. Cool. Right. And behind that, the story is basically, I wanted to be able to hit multiple price points and work with multiple different types of personalities because I would meet these people and I'd be like, I want to work with you, mm. but they didn't fit this like niche of being a luxury client. So now I'm interested in people who are grounded. They're interested. Um, they're present, you know, they're thoughtful about it. And, and most importantly that they understand they need interior design. You know, I, I'm, far past the point of having to convince a client to spend money on our services. Like mm. somebody said this to me recently and I wish I could remember who it was, but it is so good. And it has resonated with me is if your client is haggling you and they don't want you to make money, they're right. not the right fit for you. Your client should want your business to thrive. Yeah. Right. And so our ideal clients are people that are like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have a sense of like, what I like, but I know you, I trust you, and I want you to do this for me. And now that I've been doing this for so long, luckily, most of our clients are like, just do your thing. You know, yeah. whereas when you first start a company, your clients are a little bit more like, well, you don't have a very big portfolio. And they're way more hands on. And the best projects are the ones where we are allowed to sort of take a vision, explore it and execute it, you know, a little bit more on our side than say yeah. the client side. Yeah. When you have what you just explained, uh, you know, rooted into your business in terms of this abundance mentality and not haggling over prices and being sure about your process and, and what you're offering in terms of value. That's one of the critical components of growth. And, um, yeah. I think that's obviously been leveraged in your case. So you, you live downtown. Um, where do you, can you hear the, you can hear the buses in the background. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Ex excellent ambient. Yeah. Um, where's your, where's your local spot? Like, where do you go grab a cup of coffee? 
Well, I hate coffee, so let's start there. Okay. Beer. <laughs> Vo- you're, I think you're a uh, vodka, vodka. No, person. I'm a I'm a wine and cocktail kind of gal. Okay. So, okay. I mean, I love Cardinal because it's like right in my hood. And yeah. um, Graham, the owner there, is just so great. They take such good care of me. I have to say, like, I'm pretty spoiled when I go to restaurants. Like, I mean, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but most of the service staff know me by name um, because I've worked in the restaurant industry. I have have, you know, as, as somebody in the service industry, I've done re- lots of restaurants. And so, you know, I love that sense of that, like cheers mentality where everybody knows your name. Like it's, it's just nice to be out in a space where, and they always like, they would take like three, four steps down into the bar. Yeah, it's like kind of underground. Yeah, I so I love that. So Cardinal's one. I mean, for cocktails, of course. You know, I love going to Proof. Um, A1 Bodega has been a favorite lately. Um, Pigeonhole just reopened up with their 2.0 version. And last time I went there, they brought me a green shooter and a frozen mini boot. So that's a way to start the evening. Excellent. But yeah, anywhere where I feel comfortable. Um, sitting for a while. I often have my laptop with me when I'm in a restaurant and frequently alone. So, um, you just want to feel good. Yeah. So if you could imagine, you know, you're, you're kind of flying up above the ground and you, you see Amanda sitting at one of her favorite spots seven years ago and, and she's going to be there. She's going to be there for a while because she likes to sit and kind of work on her stuff, but nobody's talking to her. Um, and you go up to her and you are it's two Amandas in this situation. And you're going to say, Hey, I got 10 minutes with you. I have to tell you like two or three things. Uh, what could you tell, what would you tell yourself to maybe make growth happen sooner or more less painful? Yeah. What are you, what are you telling seven years ago, Amanda sitting there by herself? This question almost gives me anxiety. Like I feel like (laughs) I feel butterflies in my stomach. Um, Honestly, one of the best things, and I don't know if you've done this, that I have ever done for my business is I implemented um, the standards from Profit First. That would be, I would be, I would say that to any year one, two, three, four, ten entrepreneur, um, it completely eradicated cash flow issues. It, it basically, you know, takes the old school jar model and you yep. put a certain percentage in here and a certain percentage in here, it becomes very clear. And I think because there was a lot of money that flows through what is a rel- relatively small boutique um, studio, because we do, we do big numbers when it comes to our furniture sales, that's a lot to manage. That's a lot to manage to not have somebody full time just managing your bank account, which at this point I have that person, um, which is amazing. Oh my gosh. That's the other thing I'd recommend. The second you can get a controller and just like release control of your bank account. That was the best thing that I've ever done. She manages everything. And you know, that's the advice I would give. I would say, keep an eye on your numbers. As a creative person, it's, it's often not the first thing that we would jump to or the natural thing. I wouldn't say it's always the most exciting thing, but I would have saved myself a lot of pain had I better managed my money earlier on. Right. And I think I would have been more profitable and more savvy. And, but these are lessons that we learn. Yeah. yeah. You almost have to, you almost have to. Well, that's the thing. You kind of have to, like, I had to go through being in a position where at one point very early on, I had to cash out my RRSPs so I could make payroll. You know, I I was always the the last person at the table getting the scraps, you know, whereas now I've been able to put myself in a position where I I actually, even though I never used to believe it, I do pay myself first. Um, But that doesn't mean anything else suffers. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. My, I, we, we, we leverage profit first a lot here at hook and ladder. And even at home, my wife's like, why do we have an NMAX bank account? It's like, because we, we need different jars for different things and we got to take care of that first. So. Exactly. That's cool. So, um, my accountant hates it. I don't know if your accountant hates it, but yeah. they're like, you literally have, and I have three businesses. So they're like, you literally have like 25 bank accounts and then credit cards with each of them. And I'm like, I don't care. I know it's unorthodox. It's way better. Totally. I can look in and see exactly how much money's in my profit account versus my holding account versus my payroll account, yeah. tax account. It's the best. And as long, as long as you don't have like more than 10 trans- transactions, you can as many accounts as you want. They'll give them away. I mean, I probably do in some of those accounts for sure, but I would rather pay more. Let me put it this way. I'd rather pay more in bank charges yeah. to know that my, my finances are good. Do you have you a, like a liquor, a bar fund? Yeah, exactly. Could you imagine? Uh, there's a lot of credit card. There are a lot of restaurant charges on my credit card. That's Excellent. for sure. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> ah, write them off. Yeah. So if, if business growth was sort of this delicious meal, you, you mentioned one of the key ingredients that need to go into that, uh, you know, cash management profit first principles. What else are some of the fundamentals that have to be in place in order to experience not iterative growth, but next level growth? Yeah. I, I love this question because I love to cook and it, it, to me reminds me of like the three basic ingredients that you basically start off like every single sugar, dish. brown sugar. No. Okay. Your house looks a little different than my house. Yours sounds more delicious, but it's like high quality extra virgin olive oil, onions, garlic, the right? Fundamentals. And, right. The fundamentals. And so again, like that, going back to that question, like, what are those things? Like, I think early on setting up systems and systems and procedures to make things, um, really clear for your team. That's number one. Those are things that I, it took years for me to kind of establish. And I would even say we're still establishing them. Something comes up and you're like, shoot, we need a protocol for if this happens again. Um, you know, something happened yesterday where I'm like, Kate, hey, let's address this because I know we're going to, it's going to happen again. Right. Um, so I think that's definitely one of them. Um, of course, the, the sort of your numbers, having an eye on your numbers. And I think the really big thing that has made our company successful is our company culture. You know, Mm. I feel pretty, it feels pretty special to have a team who regularly tells me that they love coming to work. They love what they do. They care so much about our clients, even to a fault sometimes. Um, being able to have that kind of environment means that those people have your back. So when I have to come to them and say, this needs to get done, or we need to pull some extra weight here, um, or I need this last minute favor, they're willing to do it because they love what they do and love working in the studio. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What, uh, you're doing some cool stuff. I I think, uh, Calgary has an unbelievable sort of wealth of, of strong women, uh, female entrepreneurs, business leaders. And you, I think you just recently kind of put together a little, a little get together where you sort of share the, share the floor and tell yeah. me about, tell me about this new, uh, this new thing you're doing. Yeah, I was, I was inspired by the entrepreneurs organization, which I'm a member of. And I have a forum group where we meet on a monthly basis and it's really, it's an accountability group, right? And it's a platform for you to share with other entrepreneurs. I think, you know, it can be a lonely world. And if your friends are not in that world, they just, they just don't necessarily always share the same um, things that keep them up at night that, that we do. And so this, this women's entrepreneurship group um, was, was sort of um, born out of COVID. There was 
a number of women that we were sharing kind of like on a group text thread and we just really supported each other during COVID. We, you know, had a few Zoom calls. Um, we were texting each other, sharing information like, okay, what are the new, new things that have come out with the government? And, and I just saw that there was just such a great opportunity to grow that. There were women that I was like, I want you to be there. Like, I want right. you to be, I want you to be a part of this community. And so there's 10 of us. And what is sort of fun is I didn't want to make also more work for myself. So it's <laughs> like each woman hosts the meeting each month in the way that she wants to do it in the way that mm -hmm. she wants to express herself or the information she shares. But it just basically becomes a platform for us to um, develop better female friendships and, and also support each other as female entrepreneurs. You know, right. it's, it, it can be difficult sometimes, you know, being a woman in, 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 in this world. And so it's just, it's, it's additional support. Yeah. Well, it's amazing what you're doing. We need, uh, I, I always joke, we need way more strong female leaders because men are too emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you just said men are too emotional. That's, yeah, maybe emotional in a different way. Like, I know, that's the joke. Emotionally robotic? Is emotionally that the, robotic. Robotically we're, emotional? We're soft inside, bunch of softies. I know you are. You know, I think, I think in general, I'm just interested in um, really championing like leadership and entrepreneurship for women. I mean, yeah. I, I see, and I love you and then you are a member as well. And, and, you know, it's mostly men though, right. you know, and, and I, I think it's important for us to encourage other women to feel comfortable to go into these organizations. Totally. Yeah. You talked earlier about um, shifting gears here a little bit. You talked uh, about, you haven't done a lot of traditional uh, marketing. What, what has been some of the, the thrust or the, the rocket fuel behind your growth over the last little bit? Is it just yeah. great quality work and word of mouth or, or tell me about the engine? I think honestly, I have to give a lot of credit to our online presence. So I'm a bit of an early adopter. You know, it's like I was on Twitter early. I was on Instagram early. I was on Facebook early. And, and I think what I learned through the process is that I have a natural strength for strategy and marketing myself. And so it's something that I, I always had put a lot of focus on. Now, of course, I work with a team who helps me manage that platform, but Honestly, a big thing for me was our website. Our website has incredible organic SEO. We don't pay for, for optimizing that whatsoever. There are just so many articles and stuff pointing to that website and vice versa. Um, I've, I have a huge portfolio on there. We're actually launching a new website in a couple of weeks, which will be fun. I mean, provided I get everything to my web developer before she kills me. <laughs> That's um, the best. And so I think having an online presence is important. That's where our clients find us. You know, I think a lot has shifted even in the buying process. I mean, people now are buying furniture off of Instagram. Yeah. Like they're buying a sofa off of Instagram. They're not even going to the store. They're not sitting on it anymore. So the whole industry for interior design has changed dramatically. And so I think having a really solid online presence obviously gives you legitimacy, but it allows people to explore your work and make a decision before they even call you. Right. A lot of our clients call us and like, they're not shopping us. Really? They, they're coming directly to us. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's and I would amazing. say most of our clients are, are actually not referral. They're either repeat customers we've done work for in the past, um, or they're people who have found us online 
and then have heard our name in several other areas, right? right? So they'll see a magazine article or then they'll talk to a friend. So they've heard our name three to five times before they've come to us and it helps them solidify that, yes, this is the person I want to work with. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the dream when you can, when you can tap into that organic train and it's moving for you. Um, yeah. That's the dream. From a I mean, sometimes I'm like, what, what it would look like, like if we did advertise, like, yeah. could we have even more ex- explosive growth? But I think what's neat is when you find, when people find you, they've already made that decision. You're not fighting to get their business. You're not trying to justify yourself. They, they're already like committed to hiring somebody. Totally. There's a, there's a massive difference between hi, so-and-so I'm Amanda Hamilton. I do this, this, and this versus hi, how can I help you? Yeah. Exactly. Right. There's intent behind the other yeah. one. So, um, I know that you're not someone to kind of just stop and be complacent. What, what is the next mountain for, for you guys that you're going to be climbing? What are the aspirations for? I'd love it. I love it how people just think magically when 2021 comes, everything is going to be different, but we thought that about 2020 and look yeah. what 2020 did to us. 2020 what? was like, like but taught us a lesson. That's right. A good lesson. It's been a yeah. great, great year, actually. I mean, besides the health stuff and, and that scariness, but um, anyways, aspirations for the future. What's the next thing you guys are climbing? You got office, you got a website. Yeah. Um, a great question. And, uh, you know, you were talking about the fact that having a new office space really allows us to kind of have a bit of a fresh start. And, and for us, it's also a bit of a marketing move, right? We, we didn't want to lose jobs because people weren't, were in love with our office space. You know, we had a very sort of like downtown boutique style office space before character building. This, yeah. this takes us to the next level. Um, but now we're able to also launch some initiatives that we've had to shelf for a long time. So we're relaunching our speaker series um, under the new moniker of Hard Bar Fridays. Nice. And it's really going to be focused around um, entrepreneurs, bringing them together in a small group setting. Um, I'm also launching a podcast, um, called after hours and we're also doing a in-office initiative called, um, open studio, kind of taking a cue off of open source, um, learning. So it's like open source studio and people from the general public students, people who just love design can come in and use our design library, access our finishes and materials, and just like use our space. So we're opening that up one day a week for a period of time. And I'm also writing a book right now. So that's the, it seems like a really great time to just smash out a book. Deadline yeah. is January 11th. So you guys can all hold me accountable, but that's, amazing. Um, that's, that's personally like where my big focus is right now is, is just making sure I'm committing to that. But yeah, life is full. Um, I try not to use the word busy yeah. and it's amazing. And like you said, so many incredible lessons, um, this year, I, I I don't know that I would change it. I mean, I've had some really hard learnings and have also had some really beautiful experiences through all this. Yeah. Well, some of the heart, I mean, you are, you are married to a man that is in an industry that is, uh, very interesting during COVID. Yes. I'm glad you guys were there for each other to get through that crazy. Yeah, we I, did. I we joke that we're like we might be the only people that lost weight during COVID because yeah. you know we were doing these like online workouts every single day, sometimes twice a day. You know, plus you're trying to get your own workouts in, and so yeah, I came out of it being like I'm in good shape. That's right. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was in the basement just grinding it out with paint buckets and 
my baby. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's like, I think, you know, what's cool is I think a lot of people have established more of a fitness routine totally. now and, and it becomes something that they look forward to every day. I know that's what it was like for me when you're sitting at home all day long, like you look forward to being like, okay, at 4 PM, this is, I'm having my daily workout. Yeah. It was great. I loved it. Yeah. Atomic yeah. habits. Exactly. Great. Book. Um, unbelievable. So yeah. this is, this is my last question. And, uh, I think that businesses that achieve growth and scale, often have, well, they have to have a great leader, right? And, and I think that great leaders typically have great, or at least very consistent morning routines. So I want to know about Amanda's, maybe it's a morning, it sound like, you sound like a night person, but. I used to be, not anymore. What's the routine that, uh, that you hold yourself to? I, I love this question and I, I love talking about habits and rituals. I dug into that a lot in 2019, read a lot of books on it. Um, and I put this stuff right in my calendar. I'm a big believer that if it's not in your calendar, you're not going to do it. Like it needs to just be in there. So I like to rise early. Like it depends on the time of year and what's going on in my life, but that could be 5 a.m. or it could be 6 a.m. Um, and, and still working on establishing a consistent meditation habit, but like getting up and meditating anywhere from honestly 10 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll actually go to a meditation class, getting a workout in, and then having taking the time to have breakfast. I think that's the mm -hmm. one thing I laugh about. Like there's such a trend for intermittent fasting don't eat and breakfast. I'm like, don't eat till noon. And you're like crawling through. I'm like, Ugh. well, not only that, but I'm like entrepreneurs have been doing intermittent fasting since the very beginning. Yeah. Like, I mean, we just, we skip over all the things that are important. Right. And so I think that's important. I schedule in, you know, I have an eating or an evening ritual as well. So, um, you know, 30 minutes of, of reading, I like to do some stretching, like having really good sleep hygiene and preparing yourself for sleep, I think is super important. I'm not perfect at it. I'm, I'm definitely still trying to figure that out. Yeah. You know, some, some nights you're out later and you know, you want to have a sleep in. I think so much of it is like listening to your body. Yeah. Um, but honestly optimizing my day, I'm kind of a bit of a biohacker, like figuring out how to get the most out of my day is, is super important and yeah. kind of interesting. It totally is. Yeah. So, so when you fall off, you just, you're just kind of the one who uh, flush it. Let's, you know, next day type thing. Cause I think next, that's the big challenge, right? For people next day. Cause everybody does the, like, I have a girlfriend who said this to me the other day. She's like, I'm going to quit smoking on October 31st. And I fully called her. I was like, why October 31st? And she's like, well, it's after Halloween. I'm like, you're in your late thirties. Like you, my costume not, requires cigarettes. Like I was window. like, I was basically told her, I was like, get a grip. And I think we all do this naturally as human beings. We're really hard on ourselves and we go, okay, well, I'm going to start January 1st. And then January 1st blows by. And then you're like, well, I'll start after my birthday in April. And it's like, you just create these excuses for yourself and you're so hard as opposed to just being like, I didn't work out yesterday, but I'm going to work out today. Yeah. Like, and so I think that that's such a, like, I'm glad you brought that up. It's such a valuable lesson. You just have to give yourself a little bit of grace to be like, yesterday wasn't so great. I ate like a human trash can, but today I have an opportunity to eat well. And I think it's about the balance on, on all of that stuff. Totally. Yeah. Well, with that, with hey, that, listen, Amanda, you're a you're a big leader in this city. Uh, that's why the city is so exciting to have entrepreneurs and, and business leaders like you. Um, you Thank inspire you. a lot of people, men, women, and now students potentially. You know, with your with your space, what a cool initiative that is, and so. Um, Thank you. I'm very grateful. Um, you're actually episode number two um, oh. on, the, on the Growth League podcast. So 
uh, thank you. I really, I really appreciate it. And I think everyone's just going to love, uh, keeping in touch. Where do we follow you? Where do, where do we, I think it's at a hid. Yeah, at Ahid Studio and obviously at amandahamiltondesign.com. Uh, you can find us there. Or you can literally just Google Amanda Hamilton and 9 million SEO. sites and SEO. I know sometimes I'm like, it would be nice to maybe just have some like anonymity now, but like it's too late. Like the internet ha- owns me. Yeah. But it makes it easy for people to find you. So, hey, that's, that's helpful <laughs> when you're trying to grow. I, I created a monster. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. And, uh, this is great. Keep going. Thank you. See you, Amanda. See ya.